when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Waypoint Radio for Friday, May 17th. You're listening to Waypoint Radio episode 236. Uh, Austin is still out at Judges Week, um, playing, sounds like the beginning of the week. He wasn't a lot catching his eye, sounds like some really cool stuff happening towards the end, so he won't be able to talk about any of that until later this month, but um, he'll be back next week. Until then, you are stuck, you are homestuck with me. Uh, Kato? <laughs> yeah, and Kato. No, yeah, and, and, hi. And, our, and our fellow homestucker, Kato. <laughs> Not. Excuse Kato, me, did, it's did, a homestuck? Did, did homestuckites have like a name? Like, did a the homestuck. fandom have a. It's literally. Homestucks? Yeah, just no, just a homestuck. You are a homestuck. Oh, a homestuck. Oh, yeah, okay. Singular. Oh, right, because that's like the, pre- the original. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, we'll get there. We're going to talk about that piece that was on the site. Uh, we're also joined this week by Emmanuel Myberg, managing editor over at Motherboard. Hello, up, hi. I'm good. I'm happy we, to be here. It's, it's a big Vice Games cross motherboard week. Yeah, we're coming together. One Vice, you know. <laughs> Damn wow. it! A little bit of coffee just came up out of my mouth. You said that. Oops. Take. <laughs> I, I'm just so excited, and so you know, all the excitement came out through my, right through my mouth. Yeah, that's how that works. And also, we are joined by uh, Rob Zachney. Hello. Hello. Rob, do you know what Homestuck is? No. <laughs> God. So, do you got? Should we just should ten we just do hours? It now? Let's just do it now. Let's just wait. Get no, it. hang on. I do. I do know. I, I look. I know exactly what Homestuck it. is. What? Oh, uh, please. It's about a group of four young teens, a set of online friends who play a oh, reality warping it. cooperative game that both destroys all life on Earth twice after they reboot the game about two thirds through, and ostensibly provides its players the power to create a new universe that they can rule as immortal gods. I guess we should put a spoiler warning on that. At the height <laughs> of its multimedia breadth and narrative complexity, Homestuck felt so woven into the fabric of the internet that it was hard to imagine it ever ending indeed the argument i want to make is that actually this is not my argument on I'll be, I, gotta, I gotta put my hand up here and cop to the fact that um i don't know what homestuck is i'm just reading from michael lutz's uh piece he wrote on homestuck and its fandom and it's ambiguous and contested ending i guess um so that's not me making any claims, and that's not my understanding of Homestuck. It's just the only thing I know about Homestuck is what Michael put here. Um, Kato, how did I avoid Homestuck? I like I, I don't. The people that love Homestuck love Homestuck, and I was on the internet at the time that I feel like I would have gone down that rabbit hole. Do you want to like briefly set up like <laughs> what it is if yeah. you somehow missed it, and then I guess also introduce like how we, how you stumbled upon it. 
Uh, okay, Jesus. All right, so 2009. So we could talk about really quickly the precursors to Homestuck. Andrew Hussey, who made Homestuck, had been doing this thing where he would do crude MS Paint uh, drawings, so single panels of a webcomic, and then uh, on a form would allow people to direct the comic as if they were playing a choose-your-own-adventure like like a like an adventure um like it had like they were using kind of the same verbs that you would use for like um like old monkey island games for example right like you would say like you know talk to talk to like, blank etc et yeah yeah except like he, he was just doing single panel image and then like usually a line or two of text under that and then people would say what what happened next um uh, those were called like jailbreak. One of them was called problem sleuth, and like there were like four of those. And then Homestuck happened, and it started in the same kind of format, but uh, immediately uh, diverged. And like Andrew Hussey, like decided to just make it its own story. Um, it still followed that same framework where each uh, each step of the way was a new like command so like even though no one was picking those commands now it still like had this framework of like this is a game being played um mm -hmm. and then also on a meta layer this in or like uh inside the the story there was a game being played and then the it like it's recursive it here's the thing about homestuck it's <laughs> 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 it's hard to explain, um, because which is part of the point, right? Like yeah. the like the layers of narrative, the meta narrative, the commentary on the development of internet, internet communities, internet culture yeah. is like part of like it, that's part of the point. That's also like a huge point of the feature that like Michael wrote is unpacking Homestuck's legacy as like a reflection of like internet culture at a very specific moment in time, right? And also and and over time, right? Because it lasted so goddamn long, like that the it, Michael mentions this in the piece, but like it started out with in you know in 2009 and went all the way to 2016, and like that time on the internet saw a lot of change, right? Like from through the, like Obama, the, the Obama years, like, yeah, like exactly. The, like the evolution of the internet was unbelievable. Or, the, like, uh, the internet yeah, was established, but like I mean, mobile phones, like just so much changed in. That, that span. Absolutely. Even like the idea of like what a troll is and like what mm -hmm. the, the boundaries of trolling someone are on the internet, where that becomes abusive, like were different then to the point where half of the cast are trolls. Like that's, they're this alien race, they're called trolls and like they are also the old style of internet troll that was actually kind of benign. Like before, like where people would just be making shitty jokes in like a in in like a teasing way rather than this thing that where that sort of evolved and started crossing lines over time right um so like you can see this kind of wild change even in like and like they use that like as trolling became more like a, a, a form of abuse of being abusive but like having like a oh no we're just kidding it, it, well like, it became like kind of an art form like, yes and over like the course of the, like it was a set of skills there was a template to follow there were like things you could how to troll became a thing as opposed to just i, I don't you know whatever the, the amorphous thing that it was before right um and like um like you the, those things would be reflected even in in 
I, I hesitate to call it a comic too because it's it's so many things. Like even most panels were already like two to three frame animations, and sometimes a panel or a page would be actually just text. The way that dialogue was uh, 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 given in here was through chat logs, basically, because the characters were all using aim essentially um oh yeah no yes. icq <laughs> or something yeah like literally just like lines and lines of uh, a chat like they never actually s- spoke in person um until way late into the series and even then uh that he made up this like <laughs> so it was called the dialogue log because it was like a di- dialogue based uh chat uh, system. Anyway, I shouldn't get too far into this. This is like, but overall, like, I don't understand how you missed that Homestuck was a thing. If you were online, you had heard of it, right? Just not no, actually not, read not it, not even. at all. Not, no, that like, is I mean, bizarre to me. Kyle, I mean, may, like, it's you ever hear a little po- band called Weezer? <laughs> There's your answer, like Patrick. Not, where were you for this? I was, you were collecting. Was, you were collecting live ra- recordings. Rarities, of rarities, please. That's the the p- yeah. preferred, preferred nomenclature. I mean, God. Like, look, I was on like early versions of you know recent era. You know, back when it was the gaming age forums, and I was yeah. on the off topic a lot. So my guess is Homestuck discuss. Like, I'm not. It just never like became like a fandom of mine, and right. it, I floated around it to the degree that it. I clearly never like fully collided with it. So it's been actually fascinating. Like it's, it's, it's just weird to me to think that I could have, I grew up in internet culture and somehow just like didn't, this would have seemed like something I would have followed and been interested in. And yet, um, just like something that completely went, uh, around me. Emmanuel sounds like you are the same way. You are also among us with not knowing what Homestuck is. Yeah, I have have no idea what it is. When I heard that this story was coming and I heard the name, I was like, oh, the strong bad guy, right? Like, this is, <laughs> this is, Homestar Runner! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy I was like, shit! This is, this is what this <laughs> that's, story that's is about. very good. Um, but no, and it also reminds me, um, we had a short news uh, story yesterday on Motherboard about YTMND. Oh, right. God. And I'm embarrassed to say I have also been extremely online uh, my entire life or since the Internet came into my life when I was like uh, 10. And I kind of knew what that was and have definitely seen the images from that website, which is uh, a meme generating uh, meme bank sort of. uh, Well, it evolves into that, right? So you're the man now dog, which is what the acronym comes from, was like an early Internet meme, which at that point the. Like that was not, uh, you know, popular terminology. It was just a joke that other people were <laughs> were using. I mean, maybe meme had been attached, but it wasn't like our popular conception of like that that formula that results in a certain type of joke on the internet. Mm-hmm. But I I was there and like deeply embedded in YMNTD culture like at that time because like I was sitting there as it be- went from a joke that one person made to a thing that other people could use, and right. it was so. It was such a much more innocent time on the internet. Like, obviously, bad mm. things were happening on the internet then, too. <laughs> but it just felt it felt different and, like, just fun in yeah. a way that maybe was my own ignorance of, like, youth. Um, like, hard to say. But it was just a different time for 
It was a it was a very heartwarming meme. It was it was just a nice one. <laughs> yeah, you just went to a page that had gifs and sound effects, and like that's basically all that website did. Yeah, and I don't without withholding judgment about whether it's good or bad because I'm sure people use that website for bad totally. means. But one thing that I think we're hitting on, which is definitely true about the internet back then, is that it was more siloed. So you could yeah. be extremely online, but you would be embedded in a specific community, and not by choice, you would just have no idea that this like whole other side of internet culture existed. Whereas now, we're all on these big platforms, and uh, it, it, you can't avoid the memes. You can't avoid uh, when something goes viral, because we're all funneled into the same platforms. And that wasn't the case. And I think that's how you could avoid knowing about Homestuck or avoid knowing about yeah. You're the Man Now, dog. That makes, yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. I want to yeah. close the loop on something. When we had uh, Jason, what was it, Rob? He likes to be called Keebler, right? That's how you... Wow. Yeah. Oh, like correct. the elves. Correct. Yeah. 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 That's cool, you know? Yeah. yeah. Being part of pop culture is neat. Um, <laughs> we, we, just, uh, we discussed on Wednesday sort of like... A lot of our like internet origin stories, like the community, like what you're talking about, where like you sort of just fall into a community. There was like a uh, a running thread where a lot of us, the original communities we fell into, were like, I like X, so you went seeking out the message board or community associated with that, and that's kind of where a lot of us started and branched from there. Like, what is your internet origin story? Like, where did you start um, once you got online? Like, where did you kind of like call home early on? Yeah, so for me, uh, technology has always been a means to play games. Like, that's how I got interested in technology. And whenever I learned something about technology, it was usually because I wanted to, like, get a video game to run better or learn how to pirate a video game. Uh, so that is, those are the communities. So you were in, like, that DOS prompt where you, like, could turn off, like, certain parts of your memory to make sure you could get dark forces to run because you needed to turn off, like, your CD-ROM drive to free up enough space? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then when I, I got an internet connection, I was like, oh, I can, you know, find a, a message board that explains how to do this. I don't remember the name of the exact one, but there was, like, I grew up in Israel, so I was, like, on a Hebrew-speaking message board for, like, computer hardware stuff where people would, like, would okay. tr troubleshoot stuff, and I spent all the time there. But I think the one that people know is I was like a major lurker on the Penny Arcade forums. Wow. Is, really? Yeah. And I never posted uh, or because I think I posted once and people like dunked on me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So, Do you remember? Do you remember the opinion that was shared? What did you, what did you try to put into the world? Oh, God. I don't remember. I don't know. It was... <laughs> I don't know. It, it was something I was asking. I was legitimately asking a question and it was like people were dunking on me because it was like, we already answered this in like a pinned thread or something. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. My first participation in the online community and what set my pattern thereafter of rarely participating and speaking uh, was joining a Star Wars fan community around the uh, then expanded universe, the novels. And I was like, oh, there's tons of people into these books. Amazing. And then a child, like unwise in the ways of forums, I was like, I must create a thread. <laughs> Who do we think is the best author of these books? Oh, no. And immediately everyone was like, get fucked. <laughs> yeah. Do you agree now? Do you agree now with that sentiment, with that response to your thread? Or... No, I think people are assholes. Like, <laughs> like, like I genuinely think, uh, like, to a degree, I understand the irritation of uh, 
Like, and I suppose that's the other thing. There was no effect of moderation. So like in mm. any sort of like healthy community, someone would probably like close that thread off and then like DM me and be like, Hey, uh, you know, here's the way we operate. And he, here's why that thread is not really productive because it's sort of been asked and answered a million times. Instead, what happened uh, was somebody named Nomi Sunrider 85 wow. or something like that. It stuck wow. with you, was, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, also, because like, also, you know someone who takes a fucking Kevin J. Anderson uh, like, exp- like background extra character from his shitty trilogy. Someone who takes that as their handle. Like, you know you're dealing with just a garbage tier uh, like Star Wars fan. Uh, but what anyway, so Rob's, Rob's exercising some demons yeah, yeah. right now. He's working yeah. through some shit. Hey, hey, Nomi Sunrider, get fucked. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, instead, Nomi Sunrider shows up and is like... Who on the who on the planet still needs this question answered? This has been asked a million answered a million fucking times. We all know it's Timothy Zahn. We're done. We're ready to move on. Don't create stupid at like bullshit threads like this, etc. Just unloading on me. And I was like, well, I think I am done here. <laughs> but thank you. But thank you. Ty, uh, I think it was Tycho Selchu or uh, Rogue. Five or something like that, which I think is actually the same person. But anyway, somebody did come in there. It's like, uh, maybe we should chill. Obviously, this is a new person in the community and we can be cooler. Uh, but at that point, I was like, I think I might not like Star Wars novel fans. I think I might be done. Wow. I think that's a that's an early fair assessment by Rob Zachney. Honestly, yeah. I have this early uh, memory of like right after I we got uh, AOL. Um, like whatever their games hub, like, you know, had they, they had like those channels that you would go to, like that was outside the browser it was like their curated shit. And when you went there, I was really into Starcraft at the time and whatever like specific Starcraft hub they had come up in one of like the modules where they were promoing something, um, they had some script that was running where like whatever the, the sentence was, it inserted your username, but I didn't understand that. And I thought AOL's, like, StarCraft Games channel was, like, calling me out for some reason and, like, didn't realize, like, why they were targeting me and, like, wrote, like, a number of, like, concerned emails to support being, like, this doesn't seem fair. I don't know what I did. Like, I don't know why I have to be, like, publicly shamed (laughs) on this StarCraft board. And it, like, wasn't until, like, years, years later that I was absentmindedly thinking of, like, you know how just things pop into your head for no reason whatsoever. That one came to mind. And just a sense of deep shame came over me as I realized, oh, that was just a script. Anyone that signed on was seeing their username and some poor person was seeing my concerned 12-year-old emails being like, please stop publicly shaming me. This doesn't seem, uh, there's an, <laughs> in, an imbalance in the power dynamic here. Yeah. It's like, God. Wow. Damn it. Anyway, so that is, uh, uh, a piece called How Homestuck Defined uh, What It Means to Be a Fan online by Michael Lutz. If you don't know what Homestuck is, it's a great read. It's a v- good intro to what it is. Um, and you'll get a sense of like sort of its uh, the legacy of it uh, by going and reading that piece. So well, please. And also yeah. just quick thing. So sure. the really cool thing about this piece, though, is that it is about how do you end something that is this sprawling and this strangely formatted and sort of metatextual. And it's sort of ends in a way that is fitting with that, right? It has 
like the sort of the the thrust here is that it actually has a couple different endings that are explorations of really different ideas about how we relate to specifically Homestuck, but also media in general. Uh, and it ends up just which, being, which is a, really interesting in the context of like a lot of the discussions happening with like Game of Thrones, Star Wars, and or Marvel, and just like the relationship that hardcore fandoms have with content creators and like where the line between a fan and a creator is and like what the ownership mm-hmm. like so like that was the, especially I think is, yeah that was especially complicated by Homestuck because oftentimes fans would like he would take contributions from fans as far as animations and also even the epilogue was written by two homestuck or four by yeah. two uh, homestuck fanfic writers correct yeah yeah four other which fanfic is really writers cool. were included yeah that's yeah so yeah that's the the piece please go uh check it out um we should also close the loop on Rob, you you told me when you I asked you is sometimes we write pieces about games that they're not reviews because there's no arbitrarily we decide if something you've played enough to like call it a review. I didn't review Days Gone even though I'd played twenty hours and you yeah. certainly could have put review on it, but I didn't see the credits. And I said, "Was well, is your rage piece going to be a review or not?" And you're like, "Well, I saw the credits roll, but I only had I believe four guns." And two of the major powers, even though it's a game all about collecting four powers, and you said, it's a review. And I said, okay, what the fuck? How did you beat that game by only having two out of the four powers? <laughs> uh, I, think this is, I think this is an interesting question because I think there's a lot of games that fall into this trap. It's something you encounter a lot with sort of more sandboxy designs. And the question is, does... Does it matter if a game requires you only have a fraction of its tools and mechanics to complete it? Uh, is it a problem if a game doesn't demand that you actually like use most of what is in that game uh, in order to complete its its primary tasks? Uh, Rage certainly does not. Uh, <laughs> literally, I had an ability just never just never activate uh, for me in that game. And also, oh, you really beat it without quickly. overdrive, right? Yeah, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, that's that fucking incredible. I didn't miss it. Uh, also, I <laughs> mostly used the assault rifle because, like, there's a point where I was like, "Okay, I hope this starts getting interesting. I better just start like, like foolishly." I thought I needed to complete the first act by doing these three. Like, I had to sort of grind my. Uh, like reputation up with three different characters. And I was like, surely that's the, you know, first act and then the rest of the game will unfold. But first I have to complete these introductory tasks. No, that was like 85% of the game. (laughs) So I was just like, I better hustle. And like, I'm just not going to screw around. I'm just going to run around with uh, the AR upgrade that a few times, uh, wipe out some outposts, et cetera. Um, And so you can play rage in the most like, nerfed and dull way and it is completely viable uh there's there was no point where i felt the game was asking me at all to sort of raise my game one iota uh so then i i like i really didn't think i was gonna have time to beat that game uh i you know i was already uh you know figuring that i was just going to have a critical take and then the game just sort of ended i was like this feels like a last mission they're really, boy, is it, they must be doing something really interesting with the structure where, like, I'm just going to wander over here and just, you know, assault this main enemy base and then the real game begins. Wow, that's, you know, 
cool, cool idea here. Um, and no, uh, instead, <laughs> what I got was basically the last battle from Mass Effect 2. Uh, oh no! And, oh yeah! Oh no! Yeah, dude, the game mm-hmm. ends with like the Mass Effect Two battle, like just a big fucking thing uh, <laughs> looming, like in front of the skybox, and occasionally lumbering forward for you to shoot the weak points, and that was it. Uh, yeah. So at that point, I saw the credits roll. I didn't have a bunch of the powers. Didn't have a bunch of weapons. Uh, <laughs> Did you ever get any vehicle other than the first one that you get in the game? Oh, yeah, because, like, uh, you put multiple vehicles out there, me being me, I'm going to be like, oh, I better see how this thing's handling characteristics are. I'll bet car <laughs> combat is awesome Is awesome in this thing. It isn't. Um, so, yeah, I got multiple vehicles. Uh, realize they're all garbage. The, the, the default car they give you is the best one. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, and 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 then the game was done. So it's this weird thing where maybe there is more thi- like the, it's entirely possible that there's somebody who approached Rage more like what a cool sandbox. I'm going to explore this possibility space and just enjoy what this game gives me. And that person might have had a great deal more fun, might have a you know a, a very different relationship with the game. Me, I kept waiting for the game to sort of show me why any of these abilities were going to be interesting, like lay out, like make a case for here's why you need to like really get good with this stuff and like master your ranger suit powers. That ain't this game. Yeah. Uh, I also played this game. I think the main problem here is it's an open world game. You know, it's a big map. It has all these icons and I think they just assumed that you would see that and you were like, I'm going to get, I'm going to, checkmark all these icons and if you would do that then you would get all these abilities unlocked and you would get overdrive and you would see like the entire tool set that they let you play with but it, it's it's sort of arrogantly assuming that you're going to go icon hunting without being prompted you know what i mean and it, it it's just nothing pushes you in that direction it's like clearing out those outposts isn't rewarding enough by itself and they don't like signal uh, obviously, like given your experience, they don't signal clearly like what the payoff is for doing that. But the only way the structure of the game makes sense is if you do play it like a completionist player and go after every little item and do every little thing. Um, but they never earn that uh, kind of behavior. And I am that kind of player. Like I like their games. Like this is this is Avalanche, right? Um, yeah. And they did Just Cause, which has the same structure, and Mad Max, which has the same structure. And that's how I played those games. I'm just like, oh, I like driving this car, I like blowing up these gas tanks or whatever. And I just am going to go from spot to spot where I'm able to do that because that's what I enjoy doing for 40 minutes at the end of the day to relax. Um, and they gave this game the, the same structure, but it, it doesn't work because none of that stuff is as good as it is in those other games. Are you, are you with me here? Cause like we did a waypoint one one on Mad Max and I ended up really taken with it. Uh, I thought it was kind of a, a beautiful game in some ways, just like it did do a pretty good job of having a take on the Fury road type flavor of, of Mad Max. Um, I didn't play enough to see like, as I, as I understand the big thing is that game eventually falls apart that the game doesn't like scale with its length and like all the powers you, you unlock. But for, for a good length of time there, 
the game made a great deal of sense to me and and I really liked it. And so I think one of the things that I was really found disappointing with Rage 2 was that game is so much like Mad Max, but I'm kind of I'm always kind of baffled as to when the same team or the, at least the same studio can come back to a very similar design later and just turn out something that feels so much worse than something they already they already nailed. Yeah, I love Mad Max. I love that game. It has some very serious flaws, which is what you're referring to, where you're kind of doing the same five things the entire game, and you're doing a lot of it in, like, the final act. You're just... I forget what it is, even. You're clearing bases or you're finding uh, crates. I don't know. I forget what the exact, like, reward is. Um, and, and you're doing that for way too long. But I, I, I accept that flaw because I enjoy doing that stuff so much. And I also... Uh, loved how grim it is i don't know if you finished the game but uh like it's very dark <laughs> at the end like in yeah. a way that video games are not often um sorry i lost my train of thought what were we talking about what rage we... 2 mad max avalanche oh yeah uh <laughs> avalanche sorry um <laughs> i i love their games so it's like i love uh just cause 3 and i love mad max and it's like what did they release prior to rage 2 uh just cause 4 Right, and I'm I'm wondering when that team gets to shine again because it felt to me like they put a Just Cause Four and that wasn't great. And I was assuming it's like okay, it's like they had a B team on it. The thing they're really working on is Rage Two, and that's where they're going to, you know, shine. And that and I got the same feeling from Rage Two. And yeah, I'm just kind of waiting for them to. That's what I was hoping for too. Yeah. That, 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 like they from what I understand, Avalanche is structured into essentially two teams. There's a New York studio who was handed Just Cause Three and Four. Um, because four was the most recent one, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the Mad Max team, who did Just Cause two, also then was the one that worked on uh, Rage two primarily. You know, I mean, obviously the structure could be slightly different, but my understanding is that's more or less how Avalanche is is put together. Um, is the Swedish studio and the New York studio kind of swapping gears on the games they're releasing? And yeah, so I, I'm with both of you. I don't. I played a little bit of Mad Max, but not enough to sort of wrap my head around it. But I adored just cause two and the kinds of people that enjoyed Mad Max got me very excited to like see what they would do with like a little more it seemed like rage two was like an opportunity for them to do like have their cake and eat it too. It's like, uh, you know, the, the wildness of just cause in a slightly more, maybe not grounded, but just like a different setting that was maybe a little more like something like a Mad Max world seemed like it was so ripe for, weird vehicles and weird weapons and weird powers and just like you could you know you could paint with just the the biggest brush possible and that's like a huge part of what makes rage 2 so confounding is that i don't know how the marketing whether there's a cynical take which is that oh the marketing tried to play up a wilder version of this game to make up for the fact that what's actually there is kind of boring and mundane and is actually not that colorful like what I wonder, and this is not based on any reporting, is if like the pitch deck for Rage 2 is a lot of what's reflected in the marketing and that somewhere along the way that got somehow stomped out of the game proper. And so like there's a world where uh, there's a, like what was pitched as Rage 2 was closer to something like that, but what they actually produced isn't it? But I don't know how we got there because it's, it's not as though ZeniMax slash id slash Bethesda is opposed to like over-the-top video games like doom is as over the top as it comes and it seems like rage 2 could have been in concert with that so i just don't 
I just I just don't understand Rage Two and yeah. how it arrived at where it was, and like that's really frustrating for a team that it's like, all right, well now we're gonna be waiting two to three years before that team, you know, steps up to the uh, plate and takes another swing. Yeah, I also wonder what does that team think the uh, magic of the game is, because if you play Mad Max, like it has all these parts that are flawed, but the car combat is really interesting. And a lot of effort went into it, and it doesn't play exactly like other games that you've played. So you get the sense where it's like the game is flawed, but this it has this one killer feature that's going to pull it through, and it's going to pull you through the game. And I wonder what they think that feature is in Rage 2, because I was playing and I was like, mm. okay, well, the shooting is cool. Obviously, they're taking some cues from Doom and stuff, but it's not blowing me away. But as soon as I'll get in a car, that's really going to be it. And that wasn't it. And then I was like, well, if I keep playing, I'll, I'll unlock these abilities and I'll get some ability that will like tie everything together. And it's like that, that never happened. So playing it, I couldn't shake this feeling that this is just a massively compromised project that like not necessarily that it's unfinished because it is, but mo- but more that it feels like somewhere along the line, the ambition or scope for this wa- was massively cut down and things that were supposed to work together a little more like harmoniously and a little more uh, fleshed out just don't interact that way. So, for instance, like as you drive the roads, uh, like, well, for one thing, just beginning with the roads themselves, they are so much less lively than they are in Mad Max. Where like Mad Max, you're constantly encountering other like vehicle convoys and getting pulled into combat enemy bases will like start firing at you from across the map and like suddenly just all hell is breaking loose. It's very dynamic. It's very cool. The the road feels dangerous. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here in this game, enemy vehicles, like again, we talked about this, they just sort of go on their loop, but there's something else that's weird, which is that even outside of like the major outposts you're supposed to clear, you keep coming across all these groups of enemies that are like skirmishing out in the wilderness or like, uh, little roadside barricades or little roadside camps. They aren't marked locations. They're just places occupied by uh, you know other factions or squads. And I couldn't. I kept having this feeling that there's there was a version of this game where it wasn't supposed to feel like just these completely disparate experiences living next to each other, but were supposed to be more uh, like blended together. Right. That like there was a version of this game where you'd be doing that Mad Max stuff in your car, but then also you'd have to like dismount and go deal with stuff like, you know, squads on the ground. And there would be a little bit more flow between like this car combat game and then sort of a map clearing first person shooter. And then the first person shooter part would be really good because it is taking so many cues from, from doom. And then what ends up existing is it literally just feels like, they sh- they got to like a minimum viable car combat game and we're done with that. They got to shooting feels good. We've got some outposts stocked with enemies. That's done. Finish this fucking campaign. Okay, like, you know, now there are basically four story missions in the game, five. You know, that's campaign. Done. Let's let's move it along and the only thing maybe like carrying this through is then this really heavy handed uh, feels very much like it's coming from some kind of marketing trend that's been identified and was, was in the air a couple of years ago to just sort of throw all this together and then just shellac it in day glow spray paint. Mm-hmm. And 
be like, it doesn't have to make sense because it's so wild and wacky. You know, the the wackiness of the game and the sort of extreme aesthetic uh, will sort of cut like spackle over uh, all these all these holes, and that will carry us through. And it just doesn't. That's a bummer. I want to like that game a lot more than than I actually uh, end up doing. So you finished manually? You gonna finish it? Are you actually gonna keep? I wanted to like it. Are you in, are you incapable of finishing a game you have like you have to finish it once you've started? Like, or, I, or can I'm, you drop rage too? I'm I'm better at that now, but I was I had a, <laughs> I had a lot uh, going on this game. It's like I needed like an open world, <laughs> you know, like you know, a game to as I've told Austin disassociate to. Just like something mm-hmm. violent and fun that I can tune out to at the end of the day. Just like, yeah. Um, and there's nothing else filling that void right now, so I'll probably keep playing it unless something else comes along. Um, <laughs> can I just say, I'm sorry. Can I just I'm say sorry. one Please, more thing that drives me nuts about yeah. the game? Um, there are so many post-apocalyptic worlds that it's like the the way this one is phoned in is just so unacceptable. It's just like it's not going to cut it and the the game i was thinking about while i was playing it was horizon uh horizon zero dawn zero dawn yeah, yeah. and something i love about that game is uh putting aside the very real problems it has with appropriation of uh certain cultures uh there's a logic to the way people are dressed in that world right it's a combination it's like it's a post post apocalyptic world so people are wearing uh furs from the animals that are around and uh, pieces of robotics that are also around because they're fighting these robots and these pieces are falling off of them. So they're making necklaces out of them. And there's just a logic to it. Like everything that everyone wears is, is made up of stuff that is found in that world. And when I'm playing Rage 2, it's like, you know, this guy has a burnt out tire for a hat, but he also has a completely fresh shoes <laughs> and underwear, like Calvin Klein underwear. And it's like, <laughs> is there a factory in this world that is like making like really fresh Nike, you know, products? But also, it's like nobody has a belt. You know what I mean? It's just like there's no there's yeah. no logic to it. And that's like it's so to think that you can, given how many games are out there and how many just like works of fiction are out there that do it so well that you could just like, oh, whatever. You know, it's like it's it's a desert and. There's no water, even though there's a jungle. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's, 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 it's. Well, and it's, it's, it's not like I had to put in that much effort to like suspend your disbelief. Like it's, it's not like you're asking for like a a lore Bible, you know, a hundred pages deep that explains. It's more just, all right, like give me, just give me like a little bit. What is like the philosophy that like undergirds society and allows this world to function the way it does. And it doesn't like even attempt any of that. And it becomes all the more. And it's because all the other stuff in the game doesn't work as well that this stuff stands out even more because it's like, all right, because the shooting is boring, because the combat is boring, all of a sudden you start looking at what's around you with like a scrutiny that clearly they don't want you to, like it's just not meant for that, like because it wasn't given that attention to detail and, and forethought, but one that suddenly becomes way more top of mind because it's like, all right, well, if this other stuff isn't meant to engage me, then I'm gonna like try and find it in the world that I'm walking around. And as it turns out, like it doesn't like that falls apart really quickly too, because yeah. it's very paper thin. Like in, in Mad Max, it's very simple, right? It's like it's they're in this uh desert world and they need cars to go from point A to point B. So the most valuable thing 
is uh, fuel. And the whole economy of the world, the whole logic of the world is around fuel. And that makes sense. And it's a simple thing, but it really, like, makes it work. I Looming over this game, I was thinking a lot about Saints Row the Third, particularly with um, the shitty wave-based combat stuff at uh, Mutant Bash TV, where yeah. you go there and it's like you just go into closets and butcher mutants and that's that's it which itself is like what's going on in this world well, right, exactly but, like <laughs> and the thing was it immediately brought to mind uh professor genki mm-hmm. uh the professor genki tv show in saints row the third where this world just has this reality tv show where it's like Amer- american gladiators but like with people genuinely getting lit up with rocket launchers and like going through these like slaughterhouse fun houses and that's but Saints Row the Third has a logic to its, to its a logic. You know, they, they establish this is a world where basically like G.I. Joe is real. Wrestling is like real <laughs> and ultra violent. Life is incredibly cheap. Like people get killed. Nobody really gives a shit. Um, and then the thing that but the thing that like undergirds all that is there are like real relationships and consistencies of character across Saints Row the Third. Like you have characters in that game talking about how much like Johnny Gat legitimately meant to meant to people in the, in the crew and that's kind of what makes it work the the world is like heightened and absurd but it follows a certain aesthetic uh coherence and within the rules of its world it tends to observe some consistency of behavior and then the people in that world behave roughly like uh characters with with uh you know three three dimensions and so much of this game, and I don't think it's alone in this. I think a lot of games have looked at kind of the heightened absurdism of uh, like Saints Row the Third or some of the like really commercial Dadaism of a lot of like modern advertising campaigns, and they adapt that to their shooter world. And it just doesn't work because that is a setting. That is a place that the joke, like the reasons that shit works in like a 30 second ad spot is because an ad spot doesn't have to sustain a world, right? It doesn't have to carry anything beyond the duration of that ad spot. Rage two, you're going to be in that world for 10, 12 hours. If you say something like, oh yeah, there's this really popular TV show where people slaughter, slaughter mutants. You've just introduced this idea of like, wait, who's watching this TV show? How are like, they watching? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. so wait, like, how does this work? Like, what's what, what's your business model? Like, are people, like, sitting <laughs> yeah. around watching, like, Mutant Bash TV on their TV at home? Because nobody in this game has a home. There, there's no, there's no, like, it's not like people are just coming to in person and just watching you go through the spots. Damn, you're, man, you just deconstructed Rage 2 for me in a really fundamental way. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. None of that shit doesn't make any sense, Rob. <laughs> yeah, but you can see what it's inspired by. It's like, well, this shit was funny in a game like Saints Row the Third. People like goofy, weird, uh, out-of-context gags in, like, ad campaigns. And certainly it's part of, like, online culture in, in some ways. But it doesn't work when you're saying, okay, but now invest in this world and exist in it for 12 hours and give a shit. It just doesn't work. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what I do give a shit about, though. Well, I don't. It's Mario Maker. I mean, I do. I don't. I, I just, I just, wow. I just, Tell I just, us how you really wow, like, you know, I Patrick. Love, 
like like Thanos, it is ine- inevitable, um, and uh, <laughs> I, I must come to terms with with it. Uh, yeah, so Nintendo had a, a briefly before we take a break, uh, they hailed a Nintendo Direct, um, just 15 minutes of just relentless like small details about um, Mario Maker 2, which uh, comes out uh, June 28th, which is uh, not far off. Um, and there's it sounds like there's still like a, a fair amount to reveal about uh, the game. Um, it's in large part more of what you would want. Um, but there are like some big changes they're introducing. They're adding a, a story mode. Like in the past, they had the ability to play sort of like um, curated levels that were made by Nintendo that were like easy, medium, hard, expert. Um, but you were just going through a gauntlet of like 12. There was nothing special about them. Now, like Peach's castle has been destroyed or whatever, and you are going through 100 Nintendo made levels that give you construction pieces or whatever and to, to build it up it's like a pretty it's basically like i don't know if you want some actual just like nintendo stages there's something there um for you um they announced that there's a uh super mario 3d world mode so there's new super mario brothers which is the new super mario brothers Wii and new super mario brothers u uh and i guess new super mario brothers from the 3d uh, the uh, 3ds uh, aesthetic i guess that was a, a ds game um but it's 2d now whereas like super mario 3d world which is, for my money, probably the most underrated uh, Mario game. Um, and I really wish they would re-release it on Switch. And hopefully this is just like a indication. Eventually they're going to do some like package deal of 3D Land and 3D World. Um, and yeah, they ha- like they they add a lot of the stuff that people are looking for. There's slopes. There's the Angry Sun. Um, I think there are mechanics that like haven't been in Mario games before. Like I'm trying to scrub through. Some of this, um, it basically just seems like a bunch of tools to make my life like a living hell. Um, whenever people start making levels for this, um, the cool thing about the 3d world, uh, a style that they're adding is that it's, I mean, it's a 3d game made 2d, but they're keeping some of the mechanics. So like cat Mario was like a big part of 3d world where you got the cat costume and you could climb up like any object in the environment and, now you'll be able to do that, but it's just, you know, you'll be able to, you know, do that with the walls and pipes there around you. Like, it adds a bunch of, like, really interesting potential mechanics for, for level design. Um, it's also just a better aesthetic than uh, <laughs> New Suit Mario Brothers, which just looks like garbage. But, like, yeah, like, Damn, I like these wow. weird things. It does. New Suit Mario Brothers looks like shit. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Like, <laughs> this is not, what, it's not a, that is not a controversial opinion. Um... The some of the mechanics they're adding like this like a swinging claw, um, so it's like you have like this claw that you like jump on and it swings back and forth. You have like a seesaw where they show like over the lava, um, and um, they're adding a multiplayer mode. So there'll be levels you'll be able to jump into levels and play them with up to four players, um, which sounds like some really <laughs> like wild, ridiculous chaos. It sounds like. Not everyone needs to finish the stage. Like, from what I understand, when I was, like, kind of scrubbing through the video, it's like you'll get a bonus if everybody finishes, but only one person needs to finish it, like, or nobody could finish it. But the idea, uh, I'm curious if, I can't remember if they, I think you can, like, now upload levels that are, like, this is meant for multiplayer because it wouldn't make sense to play with one person because maybe you'll need multiple people to, like, get through certain doors or or rooms. Right. Um, It just seems like they've really knuckled down on, like, this isn't, a huge surprise, but it's also a lot of the things you would have 
wanted from uh, a Mario Maker sequel. Um, and uh, you're going to have to pay for the online to, to share levels, which isn't like shocking. Anyone that thought they weren't going to make you pay for that was kidding themselves. Yeah. Um, but I want I, you don't need to pay it to download them. And so I'm good. So, because I don't, I don't make levels in Mario Maker. Wait, so what are you paying I, uh, for? Are you paying for the for sharing or the ability to share? Yeah, okay. if you want to upload a level, you have to pay for Nintendo Online, which isn't Wait, expensive. So right? You it's can like still download. I think so. Yeah, I think you can download levels, huh. but you can't um, share them with the community. That's I could be wrong on that front. Um, but well, because if you're thinking like, what is what is someone more inclined to pay for? Is it the ability to download new levels or is it the ability to share their levels? And it's probably the ability, the kind of person that wants to share a level and have it become popular and get written about or share it on Reddit, they're the kind of person that's more inclined to, yeah. to pay the $4. I'm surprised I, that uh, they would even slice it that way. Right. I thought they would just slice it. Like if you're connecting to I the might internet from this wrong, game. I, I, just, I just saw like specifically headlines going around that said, you know, have to have Nintendo online in order to upload levels. So yeah. I could be, I could definitely be, be wrong on that but uh emmanuel did you play any any mario maker no i did not i i know that you're a a, a big time uh mario maker person and i was going to ask yeah that's that's a good way to describe it. i'm a big <laughs> mario maker person fan would be too far right i didn't um, want to say that you like it but i know that yeah, you have experienced no. it oh, i've experienced yeah. it yes i've spent hundreds of hours experiencing <laughs> mario maker that is a that is an uh, accurate way to put it. I was going to ask if they said uh, a lot more about sharing and what it looks like and how it works because I know that was uh there, there was some controversy around that last time about how people Yeah, so the, I mean they they're adding like the ability to like search by tags. Like they there 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 are improvements um in terms of the online stuff. I'm less concerned about like your ability. I mean one thing I will say that people I'm not sure if this is necessarily solved by what they've shown so far, but there was always um, – it was difficult to find, uh, like, levels to play. Like, when I would stream, I got lucky because I had people, like, often sending me some of the best levels. But if you just wanted to find those yourself, if you just, like, picked, like, the hard track and the game was pulling them, it was, like, really likely that you were going to get a bunch of shit Kaizo-type levels in which um, the algorithm was going to fail your ability to, like, like – play through 12 stages in a row. So stuff like that is, it's hard to tell how much of that is going to be better in this one. And, and more specifically as someone that like reported on Mario maker and its community for like two years. Um, one of the really frustrating things about it was that, so there'll be a lot of attention on this one, just like the old Mario maker from sort of more casual fans or people that, you know, I'm going to play a game for a month and then I move on to the next thing. But what sustains the community are, are often like the the really hardcore players, which tend to be folks that are playing really intricate, weird um, levels that are maybe taking advantage of you know the, the the fine line between what's a glitch and what's a feature in Mario games is like it's a it's a gray area. And something that Nintendo did constantly with Mario Maker was they their games are inconsistent in whether their patch notes are specific on the changes, and so you'd get it you get a game like. Um, Splatoon, where the patch notes are like hyper specific, like, yo, we've like reduced the DPS on the bazooka or whatever, you know, like, you know, what's changed in the model where Kato, you know, this and Smash Brothers, they are just unbelievably vague. It's just we have made the game more pleasant balance yeah. changes and it's like yo like the fuck does that mean <laughs> they and in mario maker they finally on the last ahead, one, the, on the last one they finally did actual full oh really yes 
uh, and it. But that's not every patch, right? Is is that just the most recent patch? Yeah. Or is that now so the hopefully, standard policy? hopefully it's moving forward. We haven't seen yet, but. It, they made like a full change balance list of very detailed that you had to like, you know, you had to click through a couple different links to get to, but it was there. It was a, it was accessible. So hopefully um, they're changing their mind about that overall. You know, who knows if it's just yeah, that well, team was, or what. And well, and so, well, when I asked Nintendo about this a couple of years back, their explanation was we we don't have a company policy. We defer to teams right. on how they do their patch notes and Nintendo's explanation for the smash brothers one was that they liked the changes to be organically discovered because often the reaction that people had organically told them more than if they were to give a specific, you know, X changed by Y value. And I, I actually, I, 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 I'm sympathetic to that. I've heard that argument from other developers where they find that people, when they are told exactly what changes, they, their reaction differs from like how they act, how they would act when they play the game. So I think that's, but I think there's like a fine line between that stuff yeah. and it shouldn't be universal. So in Mario Maker, the way it would work is that a lot of these like Kaizo super extreme levels are using certain quirks in the way the game's physics or objects interact. And it's not something the average player is ever going to run into. Like it's not an exploit that you could just accidentally do. You need to be doing a very specific action for it to occur. And so people would build levels and be able to beat those levels and run those levels um, using these like sort of like exploits, f- features, glitches. Um, and then Nintendo would put out a patch that's like game balance changes and, went, and would break those levels so that you like wouldn't be able to do a specific jump anymore or like a, a turtle shell wouldn't interact with an object the same way. And so then if a level is broken and can't be fixed, then it also can be deleted. And so you would have these really obnoxious tense moments between Nintendo and the community that was keeping their game alive and like relevant on a platform that was dead, um, where they were going out of their way. It seemed like to punish a community that was like, embracing and celebrating their game. And so um, I always got the impression from sort of like on background conversations I would have with people who were like familiar with the Nintendo's thinking was that that's just the way the Japanese team operated and that there were efforts being made to try and communicate how the community interacted with Mario Maker to find a, a better relationship between the two. That never happened in Mario Maker itself. So I'm hope I'm hopeful all right, not a ho- I'm actually not hopeful. I'm hoping it was yeah. two, two wildly different <laughs> things. I'm hoping there's a better approach for this, which is like understanding the people who are going to make Mario Maker two relevant a year from now are those people, and finding ways, if not necessarily to embrace them, because they kind of exist along the fringes in a way that I understand why Nintendo doesn't want to make Kaizo or Extreme levels to be. That's what Mario Maker is, because it isn't. Like, there's a lot of really creative, cool stuff that happens there that is not just impossible to play levels. Um, I'm just curious how they're going to balance that with the the community aspect. So, um, yeah, I guess Danielle is going to... I think she's going to be seeing that game really soon, and then I'll have a chance to see it at E3, and then... I don't know. I guess I'll. I guess I'll play it. I, I just. Um, I already saw. I saw. I saw a message this morning from Dan Reichert in which he said, "Just watched that Mario Direct, and oh boy, that seems like a lot. The switches and claws and buttons and snake blocks. I feel like he's sitting here writing a poem about how much he's gonna <laughs> hurt me. I would. I would the urge the all mm-hmm. the Mario makers out there uh, to find a way, or to at least think about 
how to archive all of this work now because I can already see the post we're writing like five years from now, which is, hey, Nintendo is nuking all of these levels that are not going to exist anymore. Uh, yeah, I don't know what happened. My presumption would be that the levels from Mario Maker just come over, but I don't know that they've... I don't. I, I could be wrong. I don't know if they've said exactly what's going to happen with all all that stuff yet. I would be shocked even for Nintendo to, like, in the short term, do something like that but yeah you should you should always save your levels because yeah that stuff is not yeah that stuff is not fine and and they've shown in the past a willingness to just not keep stuff online and lock people out of content that they've bought and yeah meverse baby yeah they just deleted that shit (laughs) i mean well luckily there's an archive right there's an archive of that stuff yeah yeah Yeah, there is but it's just I just I loved the Meverse. Yeah. Um, I wish they would return to that. Um, we will return in just a second. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back to uh, talk through some Total War, some a Plague Tale Innocence, and a little Project Hospital. And also, we'll get, we're going to jump into the question bucket for a little bit. So we'll be right. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And we're back. Rob, you are jumping from... Okay, you're always playing a lot of strategy games, but now... You're playing an Imperator. Okay, you conquered Rome, or Rome conquered the world. No one will stop you. <laughs> now you're playing Rome. Total, but someone should total. stop me, Patrick. <laughs> That's that is the issue. Something yeah, should on stop episode me. nine of the Pride and Prejudice podcast series. I was like, <laughs> yes, someone should stop you, and then Vice did. So it worked out, I guess. But just like a little too blunt, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> total War, Three Kingdoms. What's different about this one? What's this? Try paint a picture for us. Everything the strategy. Everything okay? Yeah, like genuinely, this is a weird one. Uh, Total War has been pretty formulaic for ages, and it's weird saying this because in a lot of ways, the Warhammer games they put out were major departures from their format as well, or so it seemed. Uh, but now Total War Three Kingdoms really does feel like kind of a new game uh, and just a new approach to designing Total War. Uh, so Total War Three Kingdoms is, as you might gather from the name, uh, a Total War set in the Three Kingdoms period, uh, set around the, the characters and the and the conflicts uh, that make up the romance of the Three Kingdoms. And uh, a lot of folks know this series from the uh, Koei uh, strategy series about uh, you know th- this period. But this is Total War's take on it, and this has been something that people have been clamoring for for ages. Like, literally, 
basically from the moment they released Shogun, Total War fans would be saying, well, they're, they got to go to China next, right? Like, that just, that makes sense. And Shogun was a while um, ago, right? Yeah, that was 2000. That was 2000. And, like, <laughs> it was always sort of assumed that, like, well, at some point they're going to go to this period in China because it lends itself in a lot of ways to a Total War game. And they just never did. And I have to say, I'm kind of, like, I'm at a point so far at least where I'm like, maybe it was worth the wait because what they've done here is they basically reimagined what total war is. Um, so if you're familiar with this series at all, this is a, this is a game that has a strategy layer and a tactical layer. Uh, the strategy layer is turn-based. You capture new provinces, you build up buildings. Uh, you, there's some light character stuff. Usually you recruit generals and, uh, you know, with Total Warhammer, it probably got the most involved where character where generals weren't just generals. They were also like hero archetypes that had like little RPG skill trees. Hmm. Uh, but for the most part, that's kind of the format. And then you fight tactical battles uh, on like a real time tactical map with the army you've constructed in the strategic layer. And Total War Warhammer was really out there and different because it had more narrative stuff it had these sort of heroic uh characters from from the warhammer universe and these sort of special abilities that that all your generals had and that seemed pretty revolutionary at the time here total war three kingdoms just feels like it's trying to be a very different sort of game uh and in in ways that are superficial at first like they've revamped the ui uh this has been a pretty consistent interface they've had for for ages they've completely revamped that but that's also to reflect a completely different focus in what the design is this design is built around uh so total war games have always been about the map i would say they've always been about the territory um and so they're they're games of geography and conquering it here there's still games of geography but they're also games of social geography hmm. like a thing you'll find yourself looking at a lot is a character web where you'll look at your faction leader and they'll be in the center there of like one of those, um, you know, web diagrams with little spokes coming off them showing their, you know, relationship with a spouse, with a rival uh, faction leader, with some of their top generals and, and, and officials. And as you hover over those, you start getting information about why that relationship is the way it is. Here's why. You know, here's why uh, your top general really admires and respects your your uh, lord. But also, here is why your other top general has all these friction points with your lord and may not be as loyal as you would like. Um, and that is a crucial part of this because you're not just building armies to go out there and conquer territory and the armies are completely at your command. The thing you're doing sort of the base unit you're you're utilizing here is the retinue. Every character is kind of the, the the core unit of Total War. And to build an army, you don't just recruit a unit. You recruit a character to lead a section of an army, and then you can recruit six units who serve that character directly. Hmm. And then if you want a bigger army, you got to recruit another character who can then create another six-unit retinue around them. All these characters have special abilities. And what this adds up to being is a total war game that is about the movement of armies, is about the conquest of territory, but is also about 
social relationships. The closer uh, char- to a Crusader Kings type? Yeah, but different. Yeah. That's the weird thing. Like, it is, in terms of what it's doing, it is much closer to Crusader Kings, but it's not cribbing it it doesn't feel like it's cribbing those mechanics and those dynamics completely Mm. it's got its own take on what drives relationships and how they evolve and so how does that meaningfully like can you like walk me through a moment where like a friction point like interrupts like what if you were playing a normal like strategy game like this just wouldn't ever come to pass it's just because it wasn't part of the the layer of gameplay they can interact like the moment to moments like how does the these character interactions then end up like modifying your choices. So here's or, a really interesting one. Okay. Like this is, and like, this is something I just, I don't think I've seen before. Um, so I had my faction leader rolling with his right hand man and they were kind of my top army. Uh, the units in these retinues gain experience. And so in addition to their sort of paper strength, they were also just like more experienced and veteran versions of these troops. But we like, I ended up basically, I was besieging this enemy capital um, I got hit by a reinforcing army. The garrison of the enemy capital came out and ended up fighting one of these big total war battles where you went from having all the cards <laughs> to really being back against the wall. And we won. It was it was a really pitched battle, but the thing was, uh, my my like top lieutenant there, his retinue was basically all cavalry. And so the way I was using him in the battle was uh, he was riding around and he just kept making these like flank charges and charges into the rear of the enemy lines. And then he'd back out and, and come back. But really, like we were so outnumbered that everything depended on this dude and his army shattering enemy formations uh, with every one of these charges. So that then I could get like a local superiority, get the odds in my favor, swing, like wrap up that section of the battle and then roll on to the next sector. And so it was like I was outnumbered overall, but I kept kind of steamrolling the battle line piece by piece. It was a bloodbath, and this dude's army got like really jacked up. It was it was basically trashed. Like I we won the battle, but his entire retinue was butchered. Uh we're talking like out of hundreds, he emerged with like dozens of troops under his command. <laughs> um <Okay. laughs> it immediately like soured their relationship. Like immediately, uh, the affinity between those characters and like the relationship strength had this like huge blot on it, where uh, you know in a in a battle, um, the you know his lord sent his men to their deaths and uh, inflicted enormous casualties on his forces, and so out of that victory. I emerged with this really like embittered and kind of disgruntled second in command because from like from the way that character was like reading the situation, I basically sacrificed him and his men to advance my Lord's ambitions. He's not wrong. (laughs) Well, right. But this is but and that's the thing, though, in a total war game. That logic doesn't exist. Like they're all just pawns. the whole point. Yeah, they're yeah. You're all you're just pieces on a chessboard. Of course, some are gonna get knocked off. Right. It's just numbers. and so now, like that guy is less loyal and might be more susceptible to being like recruited by other factions. I guess that's what I meant. Is like, huh. what does that meaningfully mean for the future? Then is like he could turn on you. Like yes. B- okay. Mm-hmm. He he could like outright betray me. He could just leave my service. 
and go like that's that's the <laughs> other going part to the beach. of this. Is, Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, characters go through so everything is sort of being routed through your imperial court basically. Characters come in, they're available for services. If you want to hire them, you can or they'll move on. Uh, and so people can, I guess, like break away and enter that uh, economy of roving nobles, see if you we want to hire them, or you can do execute like intrigues and like specifically target other characters. But this is one of the major focuses of the game is that uh, characters are not just content to be little pawns. Like in Total Warhammer, they basically are. They're quite happy to be. Oh, I'm your you know paladin type character. You need an army with a paladin. Here's a level five, and they're just just a tool in your hands. In Three Kingdoms, there's this constant sense of uh, characters having relationships and having ambitions and jealousies and rivalries, and you have to take that stuff into account. It's almost like a football manager uh, aspect to it. Like you have to think about like, does my army have chemistry? Do these like I've got two good characters here. But if I put them together, are they just going to piss each other off? And is that going to be enough of a drag on things to diminish the value of putting those, building that party that way? It's a really interesting like setup for the game. I love how you talk about these games because uh, it ends up being like these really interesting stories that sound like you're talking about, you know, the history of a real country. And all these personalities that are shaping the history of this world. And then I try to imagine myself playing the game. And I feel like <laughs> it would not it would it would not happen because if I went to that battle and like my prize general lost most of his troops, I would be like, I have to play this again. Right? I would like I would have to play that I would have to play that battle again because and I've played the last Total War I've played seriously was Rome Total War, and I've played that maybe more than I've played any other game in my life. Like, I've played it for, uh, like, unhealthy, uh, long <laughs> sessions, and yeah. the, way I w- the, the way I play that game is, is, like, I have to steamroll every encounter, and if I'm not steamrolling, I feel like I'm playing the game wrong. But I feel like you you get so much more out of these games because you're willing to, I don't know, take losses or well, see how reconditioned. things. Yeah, I mean, so that's what I was going to ask. Do you think that the game is forcing you to experience these stories, or are you playing along? Are you like almost role playing because it's like you want to see how it goes? It's a little column A, little column B. There's definitely a point where, like, there's some losses where I'm like, I don't know that I want to eat this. I don't know that I want to <laughs> yeah. eat this territory. That sucks. Uh, but I think to your point specifically, I think the old model of Total War games was very much a, if you just wanted to kick people's asses and, like, Hell yeah. just achieve 10 to 1 kill ratios in every battle. Oh, yeah. And just feel like a genius, <laughs> yeah. uh, a combat genius, uh, to, to reference our XCOM series. Uh, if you just want to feel like a combat genius in the Total War series, by and large, you could. The AI was dumb as hell. It would just march its troops into, like, if you just want to, like, create, like, a giant semicircle formation and be like, I'll bet the, end, I'll bet the AI will just walk into the middle of this. They absolutely would. They would just, like, step into, like, the jaws of a trap. You'd spring it and just kill them all, and it was awesome. Uh, that's not really what the series has been for a couple games here. And this game in particular, if you're going into it with the... If I'm not achieving these really lopsided decisive victories, I have to reload and do better. 
it's going to be a really frustrating experience. Like you, like I have sort of been reconditioned to when I eked out that win, that was a battle that I easily could have lost. And I also would have accepted that result because them's the breaks and that's the game I'm playing. Uh, so when I saw like, you know, I'd won the battle 80% casualties at this point, I have been conditioned to expect that sometimes in total war, you get these situations thrown at you where, you know, the clean win is just not in the cards. It's how bloodily, uh, you know, can you can you ring this out? Uh, and so I think that's something they've done well here is that there's less temptation for me, at least, to save scum my way through it mm-hmm. because it feels more fair, I guess, in, in a way, right? Like the expectation is not that I will just... Uh, skate in this game but i'm actually gonna have to grind do you do you micromanage every battle do you go into the real-time tactical battle every time or do you let it like auto roll the results i i let it auto resolve i'm doing that a little bit less here i let it auto resolve uh if it's going to be a lopsided win for me uh, you know, that's probably a case where I don't need to, I'm putting down rebels or something. It's a, a mm. small scratch force of peasants. Yeah. And here comes one of my top generals with, uh, you know, an elite army of like professional soldiers. I'm not fighting that battle. It'd be fun. Uh, but I'm not like, no, I, I got better things to do than spend 20 minutes, like, you know, running down peasants, uh, on horseback. <laughs> um, that's not a good thing, by the way. Not endorsing like riding down a peasant revolt uh-huh. on horseback. I'm just saying that's just sure. kind of war. <laughs> that's been a part of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of battles now where I'm like, I can't trust this to auto resolve. Like, I think I can do this a little, a mm. little more cleanly. And so there's, there's, and and the battles are fun. Like, uh, there is, there's a lot here that that I do like. Um, First of all, they're they're huge. The battles are, are genuinely huge. The maps are gigantic. And so it feels a little bit less like these weird arena fights that you'd have in other Total War games. This feels more like if you want to sort of shadow, back, shadow box your way across the map, you can do that. Uh, and so there's just a lot more incentive for me, I think, to, to click into the battle and go fight it myself. All right. Well, that's... Do, would you... All right. Here, I'll close on this. Um, this character stuff sounds interesting. Do you think some of that would make this a more appealing? Like if people hear that your stories and like, maybe I would like a game like this. Is this like a decent one to like jump in and like get your feet wet on because of the character interaction stuff? Or maybe people are attracted by the notion of a little more story, like moment to moment. That's not just the strategy layer stuff. I think it's, a couple things. One, you might as well j- jump in here because having played like 20 Total War games doesn't fucking help me with this one. Uh, that's how different it feels. It's like I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, actually this game has quite a learning curve, but the thing is it has a learning curve regardless of whether you know the system or not. In fact, you might be better off if you don't. Okay. Uh, and some of this is just because they, the interface is different in some ways. It's not amazing in some key places. Like people will make diplomatic offers and they'll be like, we should be allies. And you're like, I have no idea who you are. And you can't check the map. Like, you're sitting there with the offer. And, it, you know, you're like, I don't know who this person is. And they're like, let's be allies. I will give you 2,000 uh, gold coins to be allies. And I'm like, are you like my neighbor? Are you like, 
from all the way across China? I don't know. And I really wish I could just like sort of do a quick like, you know, Google search on where the <laughs> hell you are in this game so I can figure out whether you're a good ally, but I can't. So I just have to like assume like, yeah, you don't sound like somebody who's fucked me over lately. Uh, so, you know, hey, your your name's not Dong Zhuo, so, you know, we're all good. Uh, <laughs> but so there are places where this game does get in its own way a little bit. But I, I think the, the, the big thing is that all this personality does make it feel different than kind of the abstract conquest game that other total war games have been. Like if you are interested in the idea of a strategy game that, that leaves you with some stories to tell with some experiences, I think this, this certainly is that more than any other total war game I've ever played. Um, so, I mean, like if, if the series hasn't grabbed you to this point, this is probably the first one in ages where I'd say, okay, but this is just a different game. So hmm. you might as well give it a shot. Nice. Cool. Um, I'm not going to do that because I would, I, I would, everyone would die. And so I'm just going <laughs> to let, where I'm going to leave that to other people to, to rescue them. Um, well, no one gets rescued in a plague tale innocence. I'm actually going to punt on this game mostly till to Monday. Cause I'm going to write about it and kind of want to get my thoughts in order. But the short version is we talked on Monday about, um, a, a plague tale innocence. Like my, I think my pitch then was like really grotesque imagery I'm pretty shaky on the gameplay. I think that like holds true having finished um, the game. Um, I think it is a game that largely the gameplay is very simple and services a story. It's mostly about funneling you from one story beat to the next um, in which the stealth gameplay, whatever the obvious play is, that's the only play the game does presents as though it might like open up and have a bunch of options. Nah, Whatever you think you probably should do is the only thing to do. Um, but it's also a game um, I've, I've described it to other friends as I've been pitching it around uh, to try and get some more folks to, to try it. Is it's, It feels like a 2019's Vampire. Um, in not the, the gameplay is not remotely similar, but in the sense that it has certain ambitions that are really Wait. Uh, respectable. And in, Kata, Vampire yes. was this year? Last year. I'm saying it's this year's, like, Vampire. Oh. Sorry. Um, like a game, yeah. <laughs> I got All you. good, got you know? You. Ask your questions. Follow-ups. They're good. Um, it's a, it, it's just a, it's a game that, like, knows what it is, but has certain ambitions that it falters on, yet I found the things to latch onto, like the story and the visuals, to be, like, more than enough to get me through it. Um, and it's only an eight-hour game. Even then, it's probably, like, 90 minutes too long, but... Not to the point that it like tarnished my experience with it so far. So um, I'll dive into it a little bit more on Monday once I've got my collected thoughts together. But uh, if you think you're interested, my guess is you'll like it a lot because that's where that's where I came came out on it. Um, Quick question, Patrick. Yeah, please. What if your reservation about this game was just it looks like an a game of overpowering grossness and despair? If you don't want then to go, it, there's a lot of rats, Rob, and they climb on you. <laughs> And they're everywhere, and they build nests, and you crawl around in those nests. And okay, but are they nice while you're doing that? Yeah, it's like ratatouille. No, they yeah yeah, (laughs) rata eat your toey is like closer to what the no, you know there's some stuff that happens. You know there are. You but know, totally, story, I mean, is it unrelieving? Because, like, the thing I saw at E3 yeah, it's was just, like... it's unrelenting. I mean, like, there's okay. a sequence early on 
where uh, you come across a battlefield full of thousands of bodies. Yes, yeah, and your whole hours. goal is to just walk over them. And the game, the sound effects, the visual design is meant to underscore that you are walking across decomposing flesh for like the next five minutes. Um, Patrick, you ever see a horror movie called Death Watch? No. Andy Circus. Okay, this is uh, this is uh, interesting. So it's a World War One horror movie, and it is basically a like it's it, you know it's pretty heavy handed. Basically, it's about this group of like British troops who go over the top in a night attack, and they get separated from their unit, and then they come across this like German strong point in this like weird fog, and the Germans are freaked out because you know they're they're trying to say something that like. They're fortifying themselves against another threat. The Brits just massacre them, take over the strong point, call for reinforcements and wait. And then they realize, like, something is hunting them. Uh, mm. Something is is claiming them one by one. But, like, there is some real rat horror in that. And just totally this reminded me a lot of that. Because that, that movie's entire aesthetic was, like, the horror of war being sort of literalized. And the sort of the, 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 the market leaves, like, a landscape on people, on... Uh, you know, the ways that the natural world is twisted and ruined by warfare uh, are sort of turned into literal sources of like horror and violence in that movie. And like, and it's an unforgettable movie. It's deeply unpleasant. Unforgettable. I should um, watch it. This sounds great. Yeah, dude. I think like by all means, you should check it out. There's some uh, surprising who pops up in that. Uh, but this kind of gives me that vibe. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would say it doesn't. Um it airs on the side of uh, exaggerated, grotesque imagery versus um, like a, a real thoughtful sense of like what a plague or a rat plague would do to like decimate like an otherwise like sort of like quaint countryside. Like there, it's playing with those ideas, yeah. but definitely airs on the side of like whatever's going to make you like squirm in your seat as opposed to a more like nuanced portrayal i mean it goes you know it's not a spoiler to say like it goes in some like supernatural directions like pretty quickly um but it's it's all the imagery is striking enough that i i constantly was like even after a frustrating stealth sequence i'd be like i don't fucking care like i need to get to the next thing because i want to see what they're going to put in front of me like it's it's really gorgeous like if you're the kind of person like me like hr geiger like anything that he draws is like it's repulsive on some on some level because that was like a lot of his aesthetic, but it was also beautiful. And if you're someone that can find the beauty in like grotesque imagery because it's like there is an inherent beauty in like what was what was being made or there was an intention of beauty in what was being made, like a plague tale like is that. It is an aesthetic game in which the gameplay is merely there to sort of like service your ability to see the next beautiful set of like ugly imagery. Um, and it doesn't, it's not, um, I will say it's not a overly, uh, relishing in like the body horror stuff. So, I mean, there is gore, there is violence, but like, like in sequences where let's say a person is swarmed by rats and then eaten, like it doesn't sit there and make you watch like the flesh, like it's just sort of like the rats swarm them and then the body crumples to the floor, like, and then it moves on. So the, the, the imagery that it's playing with is is more like scale, is like not just a dozen rats, it's hundreds of thousands of rats like infesting, bursting out of the ground, 
Um, that's kind of like what it what it's playing with. So it's grotesque and like a, a like in a sort of like overwhelming swarming sort of sense, as opposed to like we're gonna sit and make you squirm because like you're watching a finger being eaten or or the way that like other body horror. Um, it's it's really not a body horror sort of sort of game. So um, yeah, I I found it a. a gross delight from beginning to end and tells like I think a really gripping story about like a brother and sister so um yeah I'm gonna write about that in the site that's a Plague Tale Innocence I think it's on everything but Switch um but they brought Vampire to Switch or is coming to Switch so hopefully this will come to Switch at some point too um as we close out uh we talked at the top about Homestuck Rob can you sort of set up this Project Hospital uh piece that we we put on the site um cause I this one is I found to be like utterly compelling yeah uh, so Ian Boudreaux has written for us before a couple months ago, he pitched me on this hospital sim that was trying to be very serious about its subject matter. So like last year, a lot of attention was given to two point hospital, which is basically a theme hospital sequel where it's like, you know, wacky goofs and gags in a hospital setting. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It's actually a pretty, pretty challenging, uh, hospital sim, but we got less attention with this game project hospital, which is trying to be much more of a just straight like straight face management sim with like medical drama uh, at, at the center of it. And the, the initial pitch there was Ian's, Ian's father runs an emergency room and has run an emergency room for years in uh, like upstate New York. And his initial pitch was, well, no way is this game going to be realistic. So let's like, you know, ha- like look at it with my dad and sort of analyze the ways it fails to represent or capture anything about, uh, you know, healthcare in America. He sits down with his dad, he plays it, and he's like, actually, my my dad thought it was a really good representation <laughs> of, like, uh, like, life in an ER and the administrative challenges you face there. And so that kind of recast the pitch. We sort of started talking about the ways this game mirrors and doesn't uh, the realities of healthcare in the United States. And it's all through the lens of Ian's father and his experiences. The other interesting thing here is that uh, Ian is a pretty uh, like lefty games writer at this point, I would say. His father is very much kind of your traditional Republican type, it sounds like. Um, and there's also this sort of tension or argument happening within the piece where... Uh, Ian is looking at this game and hearing about how it parallels certain structures and practices in the U.S. healthcare industry, and striking Ian is like deeply fucked up. And his father's position is kind of well, no, it actually makes sense. Like this is you know kind of what makes the system works, but also there's this unresolved aspect uh, where you know his father's a dedicated physician and is not you know, ignorant of the ways the healthcare system fails. And so there's this, this other tension in the piece, which is that, uh, you know, if, if you stop and examine any constituent part of this, uh, a lot of times sort of the expert opinion here from, from Ian's father does sort of concede that there are some odd or harmful practices, uh, and assumptions baked into, into the model here. But fundamentally, you know, Overall, he doesn't question that system that much, whereas Ian approaching it from this other perspective and comparing how healthcare functions in other countries, uh, you know, is consistently seeing that what Project Hospital is saying and the things that it is apparently pretty realistic about 
reflects some pretty massive dysfunctions and perverse incentives in the U.S. healthcare system. Is Project Hospital explicitly based on our system about the U.S. healthcare system? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. So Ian reached out to Oxymoron Games, who built this game, and was like, what's your model? Mm-hmm. And their response was, beloved American medical drama ER. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was, like, the, like their entire, their, like, you know, their design pillar here was that it was basically a management game about, like, the world of ER, right? It should feel like an episode of ER, like you're running that hospital. Huh. And so everything was in service to that. And they kind of like hand waved the entire business model side. They were like, yeah, we'll just create like a really, you know, fire and forget insurance system that's throwaway, but gives some like plausible revenue stream and, uh, you know, and over overhead versus revenue calculations you got to make. And this was a part where, Ian turns to his dad and is like, so there's no way this is right, is it? And his dad is, no, actually, that's pretty much exactly right. <laughs> uh, and, and, so, like, and so this is the thing we talk about toward the end of the piece, where this limits this simulation. Like, if you look at it, Ian's father works in an ER, and this is an argument that was made pretty explicit. It's, it's always made explicit during healthcare debates in this country with this idea that, well, you can always get healthcare. You can go to the ER. They'll never turn you away from the ER, which is true, but they also won't get you well in an ER, right? Like an ER will stabilize you. It will keep you alive if you, if you can be kept alive. But they're not like doing physical therapy or getting you back to 100% in an ER. And that's where that's where the rubber really meets the road in our system. In addition to bills after the fact, a lot of times like what causes people to really despair and really inflicts massive harm is that necessary treatments uh, or necessary like, you know, therapy regimes or, or medications to, uh, you know, address chronic conditions or, or heal from, from injuries or, uh, or the after effects of illness. A lot of times that's the stuff that's not covered. That's the stuff that like you can't, they're not going to book an appointment, you know, at a, you know, uh, like at a, uh, you know, oncology center, if if you got cancer and you don't have insurance, that's that's not really in the cards. And so that's the other part of this is Project Hospital exists in this world where people come in, you know, they get emergency medicine, they get diagnosed, they get treated and they go home. And that's that is maybe kind of the reality for a lot of working ERs, because once you've stabilized a patient and discharged them, your job is kind of done. Um, and that's the other part of this piece is in terms of the simplicity of providing care and billing for it, uh, the world of the ER is pretty straightforward. Um, but also if you just look at healthcare through that key, like through, through that point of view, you're looking at it through a keyhole. I had this recent experience. So I had hernia surgery, um, a couple of months back yeah. and thought I'd taken care of all of, my bills, like it's January. I've already hit, you know, <laughs> my threshold of my insurance, like, boom, I'm good. So hopefully I get sick later this year. So it's all free. Right. Um, anyway, uh, like, you know, the, the way like the billing works on this is like after the fact, like through my insurance company, I'll get things in the mail. That's just like, 
we're just letting you know, like, they're always, like, wanting to remind you, like, this is what we covered, like, this is what we're doing, like, here are the discounts you got, and here's what you owe, or you don't owe anything, we just want you to know, like, it's constantly like your insurance company saying, like, we're doing a, a great job, look at all the stuff you're not paying for because you have insurance. And one of the last ones I got, and, like, the way it's, like, laid out is, like, here's what it cost, here's what we covered, and then here's what you owe. And most of the time, it's, you know, several hundred dollars, and then you owe nothing. And it's like, cool, all right. I probably don't need this paperwork, and I put it in the recycling. And so I got one for the, like, I don't know, surgeon's assistant or something, and it was for, like, $250. And then, like, a week later, I got something in the mail that was, like, this very alarming but very long letter from, like, the company that, like, works with the hospital that, like, employs the the surgeon assistant. I'm not sure the exact relationship. Anyway, they were like, you may get some notices in the mail that say you are you now have to pay, like, this $250. We're in the middle of working out our contract with the hospital, so please keep all documentation you get from the hospital <laughs> related to this so we have an understanding of how they're treating you. And I'm like, that's... I don't, I don't know what that, what? Um, I was not clear what like my role was at the end of this letter. And then I get a, a thing in the mail that says, uh, hey, this is not a bill. Cause it always says like from the insurance company, this is not a bill. We're just telling you, alerting you sort of like bills you might get later. And it says, now it suddenly says that thing that was covered is not covered. I'm like, wait, that doesn't make it. What? Okay. But that explains why I got this weird letter before mm. they were anticipating some weirdness. Then I get another thing in the mail like two or three weeks later that says, um, you have lost your appeal. And I was like, what appeal? <laughs> like, what appeal? I, did I appeal something? Um, and it turns out, like, this is what, like, that company was alluding. was like the company appealed to the insurance company saying, mm. actually, you do need to cover this. It went through an appeal process, I guess. And, of course, the insurance company said, like, nah. <laughs> like, what if actually the person pays for this? So then <laughs> – they say I lost an appeal, and they said, all right, you're going to have to pay this 250 but this is not a bill. You're just going to get something else in the mail. I'm like, okay. And then another, two weeks later, I got another one of the things that said, by the way, this is not a bill, but you are going to get a bill. This thing that was covered before in the original one, now actually you're going to have to cover this 250 And now this is like two months later. I have not gotten the bill, but every day I open the mail, I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to open open the mail and get this 250 that I'm going to have to pay that How I How much money do you think was spent oh my God. administering all that correspondence with you? Way more than 250 fucking dollars. Um, and so it's just like, just who do I have to pay the 250 so I can stop getting this fucking mail um, every couple of weeks? But like, that's just like a weird, where it's like, you think you just show up. I pay what I'm told. I pay my insurance premiums. And basically like in the appeal, like they told me, Actually, this is your fault because you didn't make sure and ask the hospital when you got there to make sure that the assistant was in network. And actually, we're now saying after the fact, post-appeal, they're not in network and we're not going to come. Like, who the fuck thinks that? Who's like, when the assistant shows up, but like, by the way, like, you're in network, right? Or else go get some. I mean, like, yeah, You're bare-ass naked on a cart. I am. And someone's like, I'll be handling this part. And you're like, hold on. Before you do. Let's get some paperwork straight. That, I mean, that's what they're insinuating is like, I need to ask the anesthesiologist. I need to ask the the assistant. I need to make sure I've asked all these people, like, are you a network or like what? Like I come back and do the surgery. I mean, 
It's absurd. What what happens anyway. to me uh, regularly is I'll get a bill bill in the mail, not something that's saying this is not a bill and look out for this right, later. Right. I'll get a bill bill and I'll just put it aside and I'll pay attention to it and then I'll get a call from the doctor's <laughs> office being like, hey, we just sent you a bill for $400. Don't pay that. It's like, that's that's a mistake. That's our bad. And that happens regularly at like different doctor's offices and... What this has taught me, uh, this is a, a pro tip to all your li- listeners. It's like when you get a bill, <laughs> do not pay it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like that's that's the that's the life hack that I have for you. Like wait for the follow up where they confirm if you have to actually honestly, get, a, get like a wait you, for you want a threat. I, honestly, this is a real story, but uh, I owe. I've recently finished paying my federal student loans, but I still owe my school administration money because uh, I ran out of money. Before I graduated, and they like kind of covered like the last three thousand dollars that wasn't covered okay. by my, my federal loan. So I owe the school three thousand dollars, and uh, they changed something about the way I pay them, where I was no longer able to pay them online. So it was inconvenient, and I forgot. I had to call them and give them my credit con- credit card number every month in order to pay. So I just kind of forgot to do it, and then I got a call from like a debt collector, like a mean. Hey man, where's the money? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a like a professional. Yeah, I've yeah, I've, I've yeah, I've I've had one of those. It's, right, it sucks. It's yeah, weird. it really sucks. So it's like so the school basically what they do is they take the debt and they sell the debt to a debt collector and then the debt collector makes money collecting the thing. And I hung up on the debt collector and I called my school and it was like, listen, I paid you so much money <laughs> to get this degree. I was like, stop it. It just like I was like just like don't do it. It's like call your debt collector, tell them to back off. It's like, I'll give you the money eventually. And they stopped. (laughs) And I haven't haven't paid them yet. And it's like, and and I've heard like stuff like this and like on hospital bills as well. So it's like my my tip to listeners is to to like fight the bills. If you get a bill from the hospital because you took a ambulance, you know what I mean? And it cost you $5,000, be like, I'm not paying you $5,000. I mean, I intend, I, that's what I intend to do with this one. Is yeah. like, it's only, t- I mean, not only 250 but it's like I could pay it and like move on with my life. Right. But it's like the fact that I got something in the mail that said, you're good. And then later <laughs> like, actually, you're not good. Yeah. That seems like, uh, that's on you. Right. Like, you fucked up. Like, you absorbed that 250 hit, not me. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, this is, this is kind of the model though, is that like, I think the system is designed to first intimidate people into paying shit they don't have to. And two, like confuse them about what their benefits are and just get them to cover more of their expenses than they're actually obligated to cover. Uh, This has happened like multiple times. Like I started a new job, uh, you know, a few years ago and like my second week in the office, a fucking debt collector called my office. I don't know how they found me. But they called my like professional office where I just started, <laughs> and we're like, "Yeah, we need to talk to to Rob about oh a, my God. A, about a standing bill." Uh, and I called, like, I got on the phone, and I just fucking lost it, yeah, uh, because it was a bullshit charge. Um, but it was like humiliating. It was like you just called the main switchboard at my new fucking office to basically like say, "Hey, get that deadbeat over here. Uh, we got to talk about that 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 bill he's uh, dodging." And meanwhile, I'm like, I knew exactly what the charge was, and I was like, one, I paid my end, and second, the rest of it was covered. So I don't know who you are or why you're calling me, uh, but don't ever fucking do this again. And uh, you know, they were like, "Oh well, we'll 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 check with the uh, you know with the." This is the other thing. 
it wasn't my insurance company that did this. Uh, my insurance company, in this case, had done roughly what they were supposed to. It was the, um, not quite the hospital, but it was whatever uh, like care management group that the specialist I'd worked with was sure. part of. <laughs> so it was one of those fucking assholes. And so they had been the ones to screw things up. And the debt collector like called them and was like, wait, did you get a check for this account number and this billing statement? And they were like, oh, yeah, we we did get a check yeah. for that <laughs> eight months ago. <laughs> and so like this is like this is this is the system, right? This, this this is what it is. And I think a lot of it is just built around like I think like the entire the entire game there is. They called my work because they wanted me to be scared. Yeah. They wanted yeah. me to be like, "Oh shit!" Like, what, uh, what? What do I give you so so this never happens again? But at that point, like you know, I've been living a life where I got a couple eviction notices a year, and like just was hearing from collectors right and left. So I like, you know, this was not my first or second <laughs> or third rodeo where I was like, "Oh yeah, what are you actually gonna do? What are you actually gonna do?" Uh, and the answer is like jack shed. <laughs> um, but I think there's a lot of people who like are so used to just getting beaten down by that, that their immediate response is, oh, shit, I don't want to get in deeper trouble. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll throw the three hundred dollars uh, at the problem just to just to make that stressor disappear. Yeah. The entire system is basically relying on you rolling over because you're afraid it will go on your permanent record or something. It's like that's the entire thing. And it's and. It's weird that it's so effective because at this point there's been so much reporting about how, you know, I mean, the reason that a debt collector buys or that the school, for example, sold my debt is because they're never expecting to collect the full thing, right? They're expecting it's like, well, at this point, maybe we'll get 500 out of the 3,000. So we'll sell it to this debt collector who maybe will get 600 and he'll keep $100 to himself for his services. You know what I mean? So it's like, Never roll over. <laughs> always fight. <laughs> always fight the. Always fight the man. Always fight the bills. Don't just accept it because it came on some uh, like intimidating stationery in the mail. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's jump over to uh, what was the title of that piece, Rob? That was a long tangent yeah. on what was the. Uh, that's great. We went through so many headlines on this that like I was like, <laughs> uh, shit, what did we end up calling that? Uh, Project Hospital is a great way to understand our broken healthcare system. I think I fucked up the capitalization on that. Should have run up through oh. that AP style headline hey, yeah. tool. Sure, yeah, Damn yeah, yeah, it. You got a capital A on there. Yeah, I just... You know what? It's a stylistic choice, I think, is, hey, is more the thing. Where it's like, Austin's not here. You know, yeah, we're good. It's, it's old-timey language where it's, just, it's a great way <laughs> to understand our like yeah it's just emphasis um all right let's uh we'll do a quick dip into the the question bucket um this one comes uh from jack um recently there's been some good discussions on the podcast about the monetary value of games art for art's sake and the reality of being an artist under capitalism i wanted to ask for another aspect of this user generated content i've been following media molecules dreams which is supposed to finally get in beta in the next month it is now in beta um, since this this uh, letter was written. Um, Dreams is essentially a full-blown game engine, like Little Big Planet in 3D times 10. The breadth and depth of creations are exciting, and I'm eager to try making my own stuff. With the extreme reliance on user-generated content created through many hours of work, there have been a lot of questions about monetization. 
Media molecules largely deflected on that subject, citing publisher decisions and more to announce later. When they have spoken about it, they've said they want Dreams to be like a hippie commune where no one is creating for money. Sound familiar? Where this diverges from your previous discussions is that a huge multinational tech corporation is profiting off that hippie commune. While I have no doubt that Media Molecule's intentions are pure and artistic, they inevitably serve Sony's profit-making purpose. Dreams decided to expand the potential and accessibility of user-generated content. Where does this whole subject, not just Dreams, fit into the conversation? Manu, have you seen any uh, dreams or what people are getting up to and sort of like the scope and ambition of some of what people have made with dreams yet? I have, and it seems it's hard to understand what the tools are capable of because whenever I watch a video, like one video is so different than another. So it's like I know it's capable of a lot, but I'm having a hard time imagining what it's like to actually use these tools. Have you played it? People are remaking Metal Gear Solid. I saw that. I saw that. That's the scope of... Yeah, yeah, like straight up have like... are building like the full mechanics of like MGS, the the original PS1 game. Like that's... or that's the scope of like what people are... Yeah, this is like, you know what, a month and a half into these tools being around and like that's already what people... Look, man, I feel like at that point if you're doing that, it's like get a Unity license... (laughs) <laughs> and make a game and make some money, you know. <laughs> it's like, I mean, my guess is that's what Media Molecule is like thinking, right? Like, is that oh, we are providing you like an entry level tool set, so you can realize you're a creator to go. Like, I mean, that's like the least cynical, most pure way of viewing how you might see something like Dreams. Is like actually someone doesn't realize they have their uh, creative capabilities because the tool set, like skill floor, is is higher. Or, or too high for someone that just has an idea to like execute on it. And something like dreams allows you to come in and build on that um, and maybe graduate to, to going into something like unity. But I think like Jack's concerns where like media molecules intentions run up against Sony's corporate interests. And also maybe just what their legal team says they're like allowed for like, you know, you I've worked with lots of conservative legal teams in the past and like they're going to err on the side of like whatever is best for the company. And so while there might be a world where you could craft a game like Dreams where cool, like there's a store where you actually sell your games. But even then it's like, all right, if you're selling it, how does the profit sharing work? Do you own the IP that you've made in Dreams? Probably not. It's a game engine, but it's not. It's a game that happens to have creative tools in it. And so like it gets really... Too fucking messy, like really, really fast in a way that I don't, I think runs up into a lot of these questions that Jack is is touching on. Yeah, I think Waypoint actually has a good piece on this. The headline is like, Dreams. Cameron Kunzelman wrote a column on it, yeah. Yeah, what is the headline? It's a, Dreams is a, is a tool that let you, lets you create anything but own nothing or something like that. Um which touches on sounds about right. All yeah. this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it's cool. I'm yeah, not. I mean, I'm not against it. I'm just. Uh, yeah, that's. I'm definitely not one of those people who's going to do that. And it, uh, I mean, it sounds like you're not either, Patrick. Like you, you're a Mario Maker player, not a Mar- Mario Maker maker. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a creative yeah. bone in my body for that sort of stuff. I'm almost there to watch the videos and and to sort of take in what gets shared on Twitter. Rob, you look like you had something to say. Dreams is a powerful tool to create anything and own nothing. Perfect. That was, yeah, good, good pull on that, Emmanuel. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm so deeply cynical about this shit. Like, I don't know, there's, Media Molecule, like, does tend to make uh, beautiful 
products and tool sets and they're very good at creating an inspiring vision of how these things will work in reality and the things that will enable people to do and share the experiences they'll be able to have. Also, they pitched all that stuff to Sony and got clearance and funding to do that for a reason. Like the, the notion that like, you know, it's, I, I think people, I, I mean, a lot of us are, are capable of a great deal of like sort of double think about a, about a subject, but I, I, I don't think that you can, you can say, well, I'm, I'm sure Media Molecule are, are out to create this, this beautiful creative, uh, you know, communitarian ideal uh, when, you know, at every step of this process, it would have been informed uh, by what is the upshot here? What is, why is this a thing that we should be doing? Uh, what is the return on this kind of investment? And the it, it certainly appears to me like the answer to that question throughout would have been that a lot of people are going to work for free and there's going to this is going to be an enormously popular product that once you've built it, uh, it continues to generate revenue without you having to continue pumping in all that much investment. Um, and, I, and I think it's, you know, of a piece with a, a broader trend, which is this idea that uh, this is particularly true in creative fields, but I think there's there's this tendency for for people who, who are creators, but you see a little bit of this in the healthcare discussion too, where when the people who do like important work and make the frontline contributions in a field, a lot of them are there not because they are primarily motivated by money and that is held out to be a good thing. You're doing the work for the work's sake. Uh, you are a nurse because you want to help people. Uh, you you know you are a physician because you want to help help people and heal people. You teach people. You, you're a teacher because you like teaching kids, and you know you like working and shaping, uh, you know the the, the futures of, of young lives. And if you're a creator, you like you know doing quality creative work, and that is the logic that is applied to people throughout when they're asking, "What is my compensation? What is my upshot?" Uh, and that Robbie logic- play video games for a living. Why would you want to get paid well to do that? <laughs> yeah, and that right, and that is the logic that that is sort of thrown at you every time you're you're sort of making the case for well, I think we paid more. Uh, maybe we should value this a little more highly. And the answer is, and the reason people, uh, you know, the reason wages kind of are what they are in a lot of places because you do have a lot of people who are willing to be self-sacrificing in that way. We're willing to say, well, I'm not just doing this for money. I want to do this work and it gives my life some purpose and meaning. Uh, and then I want to get enough to get by comfortably uh, while doing that work. And I think a product like that, it, like this is very much of a piece with that entire uh, ethos where, you know, what, like why should people get involved with this? Because why shouldn't they? Uh, they want to create and they want to, you know, see that share their creations with the world, uh, but you try paying your rent on that, right? You, like, you 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 try applying that logic to the people who you know owe the, like own the paper on your life, and say, well, yeah, I don't have it this month, uh, but I I built a lot of really great levels in dreams, <laughs> a lot of likes and uh, dreams, they're really honestly. popular, and I think it's going to turn into something. I don't know how yet, but uh, then you'll find out, like you know, how much anyone cares about that, and so I I can't help but see see something like this as being deeply cynical and sort of the 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 rhetoric attached to it uh just makes me more cynical about it and if you make like if you make something in dreams and then say cool like i've expressed this really interesting idea you go build it in unity are is sony gonna come sue you like they mm. own it you built it in our you built it in our game 
that's ours. And so part of the criticisms I think is like really it can be meaningfully leveraged against Media Molecule, Sony, Dreams as a concept is not having straightforward answers to those questions. It's a fundamental question of like, if I build something in Dreams and then want to go profit from it elsewhere, can I? And if you can't answer like that basic question in a, about a creation tool, then like that's that's like it should that's not more to announce later. That's like something that should have been sorted out on like a core elemental level of like, what is this for? Are we building something where you when you like let's say you dreams is free to play, right? Like they give it away for free. But if you pay thirty bucks, you've li- you're you're licensing it in the same way you've licensed the Unity engine or the Unreal Engine. And now, whatever you make in Dreams, that's yours, dude. Like, go sell it. And then, you know, I think the way it works on Unreal Engine is, like, you get 100% of the profits till, like, a certain, like, like certain sales number, and then Epic sweeps in and starts taking a percentage. Like, if that's the way Dreams worked up front, which is like, well, look, we are, we have literally built a, a, a newcomer-friendly creation tool. And... Maybe we sell it for $30, but if you pay $120, you now own the rights to the things you make in here, and we have built something that, like, we have built a tool set, we have built a storefront, we have built a way for you to participate in that. That's something fundamentally different, but that's not how they're pitching dreams, and so I can't help but be cynical, and it's like, actually, like, you know, push came to shove, if, like, the next Dota was made in dreams... Sony's going to say, we own Dota. (laughs) Hold on, something just occurred to me. Emmanuel, isn't this also the model of, like, just major corporations just raiding open source archives and like just, you know, ripping stuff out of GitHub and building their entire business off of shit that people did for free for the purpose of the work and for the good it could do a community. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a history of that. It's a little bit more complicated now because Google and Microsoft and all these giant companies will actually have people on staff who contribute to open source projects because they benefit from those open source projects so there's like it's a little bit more nuanced than that because they're they're theoretically giving something back um but i mean it is the model of it is the model of twitter you know what i mean it's 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 like it is the model of social media that you know you're you're creating all this value and you're told that what you get in return is the ability to you know create that content but the the rewards all go to the company you get none of them you know what i mean uh yeah if if i think if uh if i do a super uh, good tweet i should get paid for it is my is my opinion <laughs> <laughs> if you hit like a like or retweet threshold yeah like f- ads get turned on the same way like if like a random youtube video right. gets over a certain amount on like an unmonetized account they eventually they eventually turn ads on so they can make money on it that should happen with tweets good tweets should get Monetize. I, Give me that percentage. I'm I'm only half kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I think that's going to bring us to uh, the end of this episode of Waypoint Radio. Uh, Emmanuel, it has been a delight to have you on. What promote? This is it. All right, people have made it this far. Like, not only can they follow you, like, what else? What's going on at Motherboard? Like, what are you? What are you proud of? What have What have you had there recently that you want to point people towards? Oh, well, first of all, please uh, go to ass.bargains, which is my favorite website after Um, vice.com. What? What? You can check it out. It's fine. It's safe for work. (laughs) Ass.bargains. No, not ask. No, ass. Ass. ass Ass.bargains. Oh. 
And uh huh. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, check out uh, <laughs> check out the the text. So this is this is why they're not gonna pay you for your tweets, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I own the brand. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, check out check out. We have a new website. It looks really good. Uh, we're doing a lot of work with uh, the fine people uh, in this room and on the other end of the, these uh, microphones, which I'm really proud of. We have specifically a very good story about AirPods. That, that are, are, are Jason and I uh, pimping the same story? No, no, no you, you didn't. You didn't okay, okay. Story. Uh, we have a really good story about AirPods and how they are a symbol of our uh, culture of uh, uh, disposable wealth. Uh, and we... Yeah, well, I'm gonna send people to that one. I'm gonna read some of these good, good tweets that Emmanuel says he should get paid for. I'm not saying I'm not. <laughs> I've, not I've not created the profitable tweet yet, but these these tweet one. Okay. These sibling co-founders have sex, and we all know it. I mean, there's more context <laughs> to that tweet, Patrick. Tweet, tweet two <laughs> tastes good though. Yeah. <laughs> tweet tweet three. The chemtrails are stored in the balls. <laughs> yeah. Go! T- tweet four, the final tweet, the tweetening, as as it would go in the horror arc. It's beef season. Twelve <laughs> likes. Hang on. I think the, the thing that really defines his oeuvre is this one. Gonna do a lot of bad tweets today. I <laughs> oh boy! Awesome. Uh, all right. Well. Uh, Rob, where can people follow you? Uh, at Rob Zachney on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Patrick Klepik. Uh Kato, can you crane your neck enough to yeah. let us know where people can follow you? They can find me not turning my head to the left at <laughs> A underscore Kato Kato underscore. Neck. Kato uh, yeah, neck. it's been weird. If I've been quiet, extra quiet this episode, it's because <laughs> I've been stretching my neck out a bit. I'm going to go home after this. <laughs> Uh, but on Twitter at A underscore Cotto underscore appears. Uh, our thanks to Bowen for the track Miss You from the EP Pale Machine. You can follow more of Bowen's work at waypoint.zone slash Bowen. You can follow our tweets continue to come from at Waypoint. This is a different logo. It's fine. Um, you can follow all of our work until they it, you can't at waypoint.vice.com. <laughs> um, we'll be back on Monday. I think uh, Austin is flying back this afternoon, so we should all be back together on uh, Monday. Uh, until then, uh, Emmanuel, you got like a you got a sign off you want to leave us with? Uh, you got like some uh, words of wisdom? Keep, keep on trucking. <laughs> <laughs> don't pay that bill. Don't, don't pay the bill. Don't pay that don't bill. Don't pay the bill. Don't Fight pay it. that bill. Fight it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Oh, am I hosting this? I guess I didn't think about this. Yeah. Okay. I assumed you were. Yeah, sure. That's fine. Hold on. It's all you, Patrick. Pull up the notes. There are notes. Yeah. Not for you. You're you're good. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need them. All right, we all ready? Let's do uh, Hell yeah. recording and do what time that is. Doing time dot is. Kind of, are you capable of clapping? Is your, uh, is your, yeah, it's not that bad. Ma- okay. I, 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 can, I was trying. It's more like trying I can't to be mindful. Move my neck in a certain direction, but this is still okay. It gets a little iffy out here. Oh. Okay. Uh, everyone got it pulled up? Yep. No. no. <laughs> okay. All right. Well. Rob is doing Got magic. No, you know it's a thing. Rob, we need to start with something. We need to start doing better now that we're running like a lot more features and stuff. Is we need to start talking about them on this podcast. Uh, That's a good idea. Hey, um, hot damn! So, <laughs> like, especially like this week, where like we don't have a ton to talk about. So instead, like, we should. Uh, I didn't read all of the Project Hospital one, but like we should like briefly touch on the Homestuck piece and the the Project Hospital piece. I'm um, I'm bad. I didn't read either of those. It's oh, fine. Damn. It's fine. You're okay. good. With, like okay. they have universal themes that we can. You'll you'll be good. Um, okay. I didn't read all the Project Hospital one anyway, so you'll you'll be fine. Um, cool. But like in the future, especially like on the Friday show, which usually is a little lighter on on content. Oh, we, we gotta should... talk about Mario Maker. Yeah. Well, what yeah, happened? Okay. We'll What's new? That. Um, I didn't the, watch it, but I did uh, read about it. So a bunch of new things. Yeah, and we'll do. Oh, and the project. We'll do the project hospital slash. Basically, the equivalent of shoutouts um, shout from outs. waypoints. I think is what we should be doing with so, some of our. Let me tell you about Homestuck. Um, well, yeah. Okay, Kato. You, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. Kato will take us home on Homestuck. I know we got our resident Homestucker. Is there like a, I'll save it. I want to. I want to ask if I, I want to save that question. Don't answer it. Just keep that in mind and just know that we're gonna loop back around to that one, Kato. Um, all right, everyone, good. Oh, yeah. Is this, okay, two thirty. Um, two thirty-six. Wait, right. what? The episode oh. title. Or episode oh, okay. Number. I thought you were no, talking. I was, was talking about a time. I was like, what? That was yeah. Mm, that's my kill count. Two thirty-six. Um. All right, three, two. Wait, hey everyone, walk. What? Wait, we Doug, need to we clap. clap. Oh, we didn't clap. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, three, two, one, clap. Uh, all right, let's go at uh, thirty-five. <laughs> I'm glad that everyone was paying attention. We've all passed the test. Um, was I supposed right, to clap? Here we go. No, you're good. Okay, no, okay. you're good. Yeah. <laughs> Ours are ours. This is synced here, which is the sync with them. Yeah. I just need I just need you to randomly clap throughout the podcast. Like that's how we that. keep it on sync. So just like set a timer <laughs> on, your, on your phone for every five minutes and just just throw in a clap. Like, try to make it sound natural. Like you're like excited about something that someone yeah. said. I'll um, clap. I'll clap when I'm happy. Yeah. Good. Okay. All right. Here we go. Three, two, 